long story short we had to wind up after about a couple of years is trying and you know unfortunately this involved letting go of people that i had hired and nurtured i hadn't taken a salary for something like about 8 or 9 months i was pretty broke by then and i didn't have that self confidence to do anything really hello fellow risk takers and welcome to my worst investment ever stories of loss to keep you winning in our community we know that to win in investing you must take risks but to win big you've got to reduce it and i bet you're exposed to investment risk right now to reduce it go to myworstinvestmentever.com and download the risk reduction checklist i've made specifically for you my podcast listeners based on the lessons i've learned from all of my guests fellow risk takers this is your worst podcast host andrew stotts from a stotts academy and i'm here with russian karibyapa you got that right russian <laughs> Please take a minute and fill in any further tidbits about your life. Yeah, that sounds about right, Andrew. Excited to be here, and yeah, you got the pronunciation right. Mm, perfect. Well, let me introduce you to the uh, audience. Roshan has over twelve years' experience as an entrepreneur and operator at early and growth stage startups, specializing in going from zero to one and setting up cross-functional teams. Currently. He heads marking at Vimo, one of the fastest growing SaaS startups in India, and also runs Bharat Varta podcast, which is about politics, policy, and culture focused on India. And if it's not enough to already do one podcast, he does another one called the Startup Operator Podcast. It's wisdom from Indian founders, operators, and investors. You can connect with him on Twitter at Roshan Karyapa. and you'll have all that in the show notes that you can go to but roshan take a moment and tell us a little bit about your fascinating life thank you so much andrew you make me seem you know like a porcelain vase without any cracks uh, but i'm happy to talk about the cracks as we go through the podcast and i think that is what is super interesting about what you're trying to do because i'm reminded of this steve jobs quote something to the effect of you know everything around you was built by people no smarter than yourself right and Great uh, i think Yeah and I think what you do in these podcasts is to unravel the human element of everyone around you and get people to talk about their failures which I think is an admirable thing so fantastic thank you and that's you know it's what makes this podcast so fun because this podcast is real and how yeah. many podcasts you know are you on where you listen to or you're on that you're basically feel like the person's kind of putting on a brave face of who they are and amazing things that they do And here it's like yeah, yeah, I we already it's already <laughs> taken as a given that you've done all those things and you've got all those things. I mean, but yeah. then to come on here and and speak in real terms. So I think with that as a lead in, now it's time to share your worst investment ever and since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Sure. So up until the point where i made this mistake i had done plenty of dumb things in my life right you could think about silly things like investing in let's say mlm schemes or or you know buying that stupid heating belt that burns your belly fat and things to that effect right and some things which you know a lot more uh, impactful a lot more larger mistakes as well but you know none of them compared to the cost that this particular incident had on my sanity right 
So the story starts in 2012. I started a business. Uh, up until then, I had worked uh, for about four years in an early stage startup and was fairly cross-functional, didn't find an interesting job. I mean, the growth function as it stands today had not been invented and I didn't really want to sort of pigeonhole myself into sales product or marketing. I wanted to overlap meaningfully on all functions. So, so I kind of invented one, you know. So we started off offering marketing services uh, to startups and small businesses and then pivoted to building digital assets. What we realized was digital was becoming front and center and people didn't really have a focal point for all of their marketing activities. Uh, so we set out to build these apps and uh, so on, right? And this was 2012, 2013. And about a couple of years in, we're making reasonable money, you know, no complaints. It's not going gangbusters or something, but it's a living, you know, we're being able to pay for ourselves uh, and then some, you know. And then we had this itch to pivot again and you know what's coming up, right? So so this time we decide that, you know, we're done with services and we decide to build products, right? Which is, uh, it's not a bad choice by itself. If you look at it, you know, products are a lot more scalable. Unlike services where more money means more people, products are a lot more scalable. And really, you know, the services business, it requires an enormous amount of patience. And there is a certain temperament that you have to sort of develop and uh, no you know, no disrespect to whoever is in services, but it really sucks the passion out of building things because you really have to be hands off and you might have to build the 40th e-commerce site or the 25th social app after this, right? And beyond a point, it just gets jaded and you don't really want to do that. And uh, this was also during 2014, 2015, when there was this huge consumer internet boom in India. So literally, every app business uh, was getting funded you could just take an example like you know your name app.com and it would get funded right so so there was uh, a lot of optimism in the air and a lot of new users on the internet and so on so we decided to go all in you know and to be fair before that we did try to hive teams off but it didn't really work out right so we, we said you know let's do this cold turkey and you know, I remember meeting my clients around that time and talking about this and they thought I was just seriously nuts, you know, because here is this kid who is actually, you know, persuaded me to part with my money and then he's coming back and saying, no, I don't want it anymore, you know. I mean, I can't imagine what they thought, right? I mean, so they probably thought I got a concussion over the weekend or something of that sort, yeah. But I went about it stridently. Uh, it hurt. It really hurts to say no to cash. I mean, you would agree, right? Mm -hmm. And we decided to build. And, you know, what did we want to build? We had to pick a market. And that's about the only deliberate choice that we made, right? Picking a market. And we thought, you know, tech for families specifically, because people had started building apps for dating and apps for professionals and so on and so forth. But we thought that families were kind of getting more remote and distributed and nuclear in some sense. And we thought that we could build this app to connect families, right? It was called Tribe, T-R-I-B-E. And yeah, we want to connect families. Great name. Yeah, thank you. And mm. uh, all of that sounds, it sounds good so far, right? I mean, it sounds <laughs> noble even, right? But we grossly, grossly underestimated the time, effort, resources, money, patience, skills, and you could probably add another 20 things uh, in there required to build a consumer app, right? And app store discovery is hard. One thing that I realized, you either go viral or you have to spend a ton of money on acquisition, right? So more dollars, more users, and so on. And 
once you've acquired these consumers, there's the other business of having to retain them and then having to make money out of them, right? Which is, again, not a trivial thing as well. You know, 80% of the people who download an app don't use an app after three days. And a further 40% of them actually delete the app, right? So, so these are... <laughs> exactly right so you can you can see how the odds are really stacked against you i'm just and, thinking uh, that as you're telling this story the listeners and myself are all thinking about apps that we've downloaded yeah and you know like how many <laughs> we you know didn't do anything with but then there's the other ones why did why is it that that one grabbed me so yeah this is great yeah yeah no the, so when you look at it right i mean we we have this sort of survivorship bias in some sense i mean when you look at the apps that you use you don't think about the apps that you don't use or you probably <laughs> download and then deleted or you didn't even bother downloading, right? So again, huge respect for anyone who's made it in the app business. I mean, it kind of looks easy from the outside, but man, it is uh, super difficult, right? Super difficult to do it. And yeah, that's really what we realized, you know, that execution is super hard. And we learned that through many, many, many different heartbreaks that we got along the way. And, you know, long story short, we had to wind up after about a couple of years is trying. And this involved, you know, unfortunately, this involved letting go of people that I had hired and nurtured. You know, I hadn't taken a salary for something like about eight or nine months. I was pretty broke by then. And I didn't have that self-confidence to do anything, really. So I hit a real low point around then. But... Yeah, I've since, of course, uh, recovered splendidly. Thank God. And, you know, can, I've been can able you, to reflect upon can you, this. Yeah. Can you remember one day that was like the lowest time, whether that was oh, dealing sure. with your employees or whether that was you coming to the realization, holy crap, I just wasted all this time and I, I lost time yeah. and money and, and, yeah. and here I am. Yeah. So the realization kind of dawns on you, right? But then, I mean, you don't act upon it. There are the hints, right? And other startup founders who are listening can talk about this as well. A startup is something like a baby. You kind of give birth to it, you nurture it. And then, you know, to say that you're going to let it go is perhaps one of the most difficult choices one has to do, right? And you know that things aren't going right. But then to actually take that decision is, I think it was many months in the making. And it took, it took a lot out of me, you know. And I can remember... Many different days when, you know, I was probably short of cash and, you know, I was literally hungry or, you know, I had probably a friend's marriage coming up and, you know, I didn't really have anything to offer as a gift or, uh, you know, plenty of these embarrassing social situations. But really what really stung was not being able to live up to that potential, you know, we were hmm. running a successful business, but then just pivoting to do something else and then realizing that this isn't going anywhere that kind of hits you in faces and yeah, many, many different moments along the way. So tell me, what were the lessons that you learned from it? Well, the one overriding lesson that I learned from this was to not go all in. You know, we're often peddled this nonsense that, you know, you should follow your passions. And, you know, oftentimes, I mean, there's this uh, Mark Twain quote. I still think it's Mark Twain, although, I mean, he's often misquoted, right? Throw off the bowline, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the trade winds and all of that romantic stuff. And um, <laughs> I think there's value in that, right? I don't think, I mean, you should confine yourself to doing something mediocre. But then obviously there is a halfway mark, right? You don't mm. really have to throw off the bowlines in 
in the literal sense of it right so one thing and you know we spoke about this earlier was the element of risk and probability i wish i understood that a little better i wish i had discovered nasim talib a little better and i wish i had read fooled by randomness a little better because you know often times we kind of model risk and probability in real life as he says as six people playing russian roulette the difference between six people playing russian roulette and you playing russian roulette six times right now they couldn't i mean you know you think about it and it's so obvious but then you make these you make these choices every day and you catch yourself doing it right because you know you playing russian roulette six times is destined to fail right i mean there may not be a third fourth or fifth time you know and yeah always have a plan b i would say you know it's not fashionable you know and you won't you won't hear of this from all of the quote unquote successful people but you know that there's a lot of survivorship bias as well yep. especially if you're starting a business so it's it's going to take a lot of out of you and it's good to have like a solid plan b great well maybe i'll uh, share a few things first of all i want to highlight an episode 265 with avello roy also from india who explain how he when his startup that he was involved in failed he had to get on a plane and go back to his home state i guess in india or province and you know just tears you know on that plane as he was yeah. flying home and the pain of loss the pain of failure is just so real there's a few things that i i would talk about the first one is you reminded me i like to say that you know when you think about if you remember when we were in school we use a compass mm. you put a point down and then yeah. you can draw a circle with that. Yeah. Compass is a good example of the idea of pivoting. Mm. Because when you draw a circle properly, you keep the the sharp end down on yeah. a piece of paper and then you pivot the yeah. pencil around yeah. in a circle. And the key thing about that is that that sharp end is set to the ground. And the same thing about pivoting. A lot of times we look at pivoting and we make big changes, but the fact is a pivot is just a small change. and like a pivot from a service to a product or a product to a service these are huge changes yeah and and that's the first thing that i i really made me remind me itself myself that if you hear the word pivot stop wait a minute are we talking about changing the business or are we talking about mm. a little pivot if mm. we're talking about changing the business it's not a pivot it's a new business yeah no um, it's absolutely yeah that that's a very pertinent point i think you need something to revolve around right you need that central fulcrum to revolve around i think what we were doing was not a a pivot i mean we were hopping around you know we were really doing a jump i would say right yeah now it also reminded me of my worst investment ever which was with a friend of mine and we decided to make an app and you know he was the driving force and you know really smart guy and he had a really great idea but after spending a lot of money in developing this there came a point where i had this realization that just like you we were going to bring an app or a software or a website out into the big world to compete globally because that's ultimately what you're doing nowadays and i just realized you know we need 5 million dollars to do this you know yeah. <laughs> we're going to yeah. go up against the best out there we need 5 million bucks now to have the marketing budget to have the the programmers to have everything you just can't do it out of your garage anymore unless you've just got something absolutely amazing and it was at that point that i just realized nope that that we were not ready for that and i'm not comfortable going out and raising capital from friends and family or others 
to do that. And that's when that idea sadly had to die. And so there's this where you go from the idea of the excitement of an idea and all that to the reality of global competition. And then it really is a matter of, you know, and if we had gone in, we would have been like a 16 year old, you know, skinny kid going into the ring with Mike Tyson, <laughs> you know, boom, one punch and we would have been out. Luckily we didn't do that. Now I want to highlight another thing, which is survivorship bias, which you mentioned a few times. And that's really, as I talk in the world of investing, in fact, I was just advising one of my clients on the business that they have. And we've done, I've done a lot of the back office academic work on the investment methodology of this. And basically, you know, they're talking about all these other people talking about their great investment returns. And I'm like, it's all survivorship bias. It's all winners. They're talking about their winners, but they're not talking about their losers. And that's the beauty of this podcast is that there's no survivorship bias here. <laughs> we are we are you know talking about our losses. So that come to us if you want to talk about getting rid of survivorship bias. This is a place where we can really honestly do that. And survivorship yeah. bias can be so so dangerous because it can pull you into things. Now, there's one last thing that I want to talk about, and that is about revenue. You know, we oftentimes say that revenue is proof of concept. And as a finance guy, I like to say, and profit is proof of competence. But the idea that I've learned from one of my businesses here, which is Coffee Works, we're a coffee roasting company, is that my new goal, when I meet anybody who says they're startup, I mean, Mm -hmm. unless it's like something amazing, but even Amazon, you can say, got a lot of resistance in the beginning. Just about any startup, my whole thing is, when can you get to three to $5 million in revenue. You must have three to $5 million of revenue yep. to support the infrastructure you need to run a business without killing yourself. You know, you've got to have a human resource team. You've got to have a head of sales. You've got to have a head of, you can't do it all. And yeah. so many people listening to this podcast and otherwise are messing around with $300,000 in revenue and this and that. You have got to move to 3 million as fast as possible. Otherwise, you're going to burn yourself out. And so I never thought about the fact that you really need to hit that number to get the the resources, to have the infrastructure to really run the business without burning yourself out. Those are all the things I took away from yours. Anything you would add? No, those are all uh, great points, you know, really great points. And see, in the end, I think you have to be deliberate about your choices, and, you know, I, I think founders often uh, fall into this trap of trying to find a problem to solve. You really have to abstract yourself away from that problem and, and look at the market in itself, right? Are there enough people who would really pay you to solve this problem? And is that something that you are uniquely qualified to solve? And how much time, effort and resources it's going to take? And that's something that I've noticed, you know, over the last year that I've been doing the Startup Operator podcast, the amount of savviness that founders have at this point of time is amazing. You know, I would say about 10 years back, we were just like, you know, kids trying to, you know, solve a problem, really went into it cold without understanding any of these things. But people today are a lot more deliberate about it. And yeah, that's that's something to be optimistic about, I feel. Yeah, and I mean, I someone like yourself is such a valuable resource because you've been through it. And the idea of Mm. minimum viable product and that type of stuff is out there. You know, it's great knowledge. But when you've actually been struggling in that space, you really know the value of it. So 
Yeah. Let me ask you, based on what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Well, really, I think just be deliberate about your choices. You know, you can certainly be optimistic about the future. I'm not saying that, you know, you should sort of think that the sun will cause skin cancer and things to that effect. You don't have to be overly pessimistic. You should be optimistic about the future. You know, you can think that we will solve climate change at some point, so on and so forth. You can see how the vaccine has happened, right? For instance, mm-hmm. less than a year and we have a vaccine out in the out in the market. But it's also extremely important to be pragmatic about the present you know, when I say the present, I mean, you could also sort of extrapolate it to the midterm as well. Be extremely, extremely pragmatic about it. In some sense, I would say, you know, be a little pessimistic also, if possible, about your execution. You can be super optimistic about your vision, but be a little pragmatic or even slightly pessimistic about your execution. Understand, uh, you know, what things will fail and, you know, what you will do in that eventuality. Because when you do Or if you do meet that fate or circumstance, I mean, you're just better prepared for it, you know, even if you have just thought about it, right? So play up all of your what if scenarios a little better, I would say, because, you know, founders tend to get carried away with all of the joy that comes with ideating and, you know, building and stuff like that. But it's, um, it's useful to stay stay grounded, you know, and and it serves the business, it serves the business uh, way better. An old boss of mine used to say, Murphy was an optimist, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, that's a good one to think about when you're executing, you know, and also there's a, there's a quote by Louis Gerstner, right? Only the paranoid survive. Mm. Yeah. So not fashionable again, you know, we tend to think of these as relics of an age gone by, but it's important to kind of keep this at, at some point in the, in your memory, you know, I mean, it's, it's important, I would say. Be pragmatic about the present. And a good phrase that we used in America was when the rubber hits the road, Mm. you know, like, the wheels spinning and all that is so exciting, but whoa, we can get out of control <laughs> real fast. So yeah, yeah, that's great. Fantastic. All right. Well, last question. Sure. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Well, I'd like to stay healthy and happy. First of all, I'd like to keep my family happy as well. And as everyone should, well, it's remarkable times. As I mentioned, you know, we have a vaccine out in the market and we'll be out of this soon. I'm really looking forward to meeting people, you know, not, not really... Mm being pensive or uh, skeptical about that. But otherwise, from a professional standpoint, interesting things happening at Waimo. And, you know, we're scaling very rapidly across the world. And this year, the US and Japan markets look super interesting for us. And I'd love to scale. I'd love to help my team scale. And of course, the couple of podcasts as well, both of these, uh, you know, started very organically. We didn't have any grand design as such, but we've done about I would say 200 plus podcasts on uh, the both of them combined and uh, really hope to build a better audience, bigger audience and, uh, you know, uh, have better engagement on that. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, for the listeners out there who want to understand what's going on in India and in the startup scene, what a great, you know, opportunity through the startup podcast. All right. The startup operator. And now. And it's good that you mentioned operator in the podcast because that's really where the rubber hits the road, right? (laughs) That's right. So listeners, there you have it. Another story of laws to keep you winning. And my number one goal for the next 12 months is to help you, my listener, to reduce your risk in your life. So go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now and download the risk reduction checklist and see how you measure up. As we conclude, Roshan, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of A Stats Academy, I hereby 
award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever yes. <laughs> into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Thank you so much, Andrew. This was certainly an interesting experience. And again, you've been doing a fantastic job. Uh, I think it's not easy to talk about failures, but you make it, you know, you make it seem so simple. And yeah, I think we, you know, just a parting note, I think we underestimate how much success can be had by not doing dumb stuff. You know, things like don't do hard drugs, commit crime, go to prison, or, you know, like in my case, put everything on the line without a plan, right? Mm. And yeah, I mean, think things through, you know, so that's about it. Beautiful, beautiful. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying I'll see you on the upside.